0: It's S in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt and Keith, brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theatre. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theatre for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith and Matt.
1: Saturday Night Live, Season 3, Episode 5, starring Ray Charles, originally aired on November 12th, 1977. Hello, my name is Keith. Welcome to SN Hell. With me, as always, my good buddy, Matt. Hello, Matt.
0: Happy Saturday. Hello to the thousands.
1: Yes, happy Saturday, my friend. Joining us again for the second time this season, last with us, Madeline Kahn. I think it was Madeline Kahn. It's Mark. Hello, Mark. Hey, how's it going, guys? Happy Saturday. So, tonight we are looking at musical guest and host, Ray Charles... Uh, Ray Charles, rock and roll R&B legend. If you don't know who Ray Charles is, there's a heck of a movie starring Jamie Foxx. And uh, many, 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 many uh, albums over the years. Had a tremendous career that uh, spanned forever. And if you grew up in the 80s like I did,
0: Ray Charles was everywhere. Uh, Much to his chagrin, I'm sure, I associate Ray Charles with Diet Pepsi. You got the right
1: one, baby. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. I never really appreciated his his legacy or his talent till years later. Before you saw this episode, were either of you guys Ray Charles fans?
2: Yeah, I, I grew up with Ray Charles, you know, on in the background all the time. I think at this the point of the eighties that you're talking about, he was just one of those living legends. Uh, not a lot of celebrities, especially musically speaking. We're probably still kicking that had the kind of pedigree he did. So I think that's part of why he was there, like everywhere all the time. And so, yeah, he's as long as I can remember being alive, I've I've known what Ray Charles's voice sounds
1: like. And I've always been a fan, you know. Yeah. I I don't think he ever slipped from public consciousness.
0: I don't like Ray Charles. No, I figured you didn't. It's not for me. And I find Mm -hmm. the excessive shilling of uh, his music and his image. Like, why do we give Ray Charles a pass for being corporate bitch number one in the 80s? And we ostracize so many other quote unquote artists for doing it. It's just and listen, I'm sure he's a very nice man.
1: And our cold open just for context sake. This was the first of three nights that the Godfather saga aired on NBC. So that had just finished as uh, Saturday Night Live was starting. So in the cold open, we have John Belushi playing Don Vito Corleone. Bill Murray is Tom Hagen. And they're uh, lamenting that the Godfather saga was airing on NBC because there's just too much violence on TV. Tom Hagen notes that uh, NBC is preparing a couple of Godfather spinoffs. One Godfather knows best and the other one, the courtship of Eddie's Godfather. Vito then decides to send Tom to L.A. to put a bear head in Grizzly Adams' bed. Tom asks about SNL, if he should take any retribution on that to try to get uh, NBC to back off from playing The Godfather further. And Vito says, no, his grandkids like the show. There's not enough good satire on TV, and he loves it when they say live from New York at Saturday night. I'm a Godfather fan. This was a timely sketch. I, I, I liked both impressions. A couple of dated references, I suppose, but uh, all things considered, I, I really enjoyed this uh, opening and I always liked Belushi's Corleone.
2: I uh, felt like the impressions were well done, but for me, this felt a little forced. Like they they had the idea that we have to put something together real quick and uh, yeah, definitely some dated references, which is probably hurting me, but I found this a little draggy and a little, like, I don't know, one note. The the audience seemed to be digging it more than I did, but uh, this one didn't quite work for me.
0: It's kind of flat for me, too. Uh, first of all, I haven't seen The Godfather. Pitchfork's down. I just haven't. I never got around to it. It's long. I was a double VHS in the video store when I was a kid. It's hard for me to just sit there, you know? I think the dated references were uh, kind of lost on me. I wasn't into it. The impression's fine. You know, I haven't seen The Godfather, sure, but I'm not fucking Amish. I know Marlon Brando and the character and the impression, and I've seen a little bit. But I not really see any jokes here. Pass.
1: And I'm about uh, two weeks away from my annual viewing of The uh, the Godfather. So I think that <laughs> might show a little bit of where our appreciation lies on that one. We yeah. now go to the monologue. Ray Charles is at home base at his piano. He says he didn't want to host the show because it's a tasteless show, but he agreed after the producers of SNL agreed to a few conditions, one of which was that the show would come from Carnegie Hall. And Ray says he knows he's not performing in Carnegie Hall. But the uh, SNL producers don't know that he's not the real Ray Charles. He goes immediately into Johnny Nash's, uh, his version of Johnny Nash's, I Can See Clearly Now. Uh, I may as well put these two together. I loved this ver- version. I know the song, uh, Johnny Nash's version. I hate the song. But my goodness, this the tempo and the excitement on this song from Ray Charles It matches the lyrics and the tone of the original song far better. I think it's a great way to open the show. Tons of energy. Considering we have a musical host, and and frankly one who's going to be limited in in his performing in the sketches, I thought this was a great way to open the show. This is what we're going to get a lot of from Ray Charles tonight, uh, and and I was happy. So we'll stop there before we go into the next little segment, but uh, this worked for me
2: yeah it worked for me too uh i thought ray's delivery was great uh so casual and like I like how you know he set it up as though they were playing a trick on him and then he twisted it around and how he was dragging on the show with like you know the little shit eating grin in the corner of his mouth you could tell he was having a lot of fun and then yeah when i kicked into to the music um you know it's not surprising that we're we're going to get maybe a little more music than normal having such a musical host. But I thought the song was great. Real high energy, a lot of fun and
0: a good way to get things rolling. Of course, I don't like the monologue being the song uh, because it's, it's just not the format. And it's TV and formats are important. But, you know, when a stand-up comedian hosts, they let him go out there and do stand-up. So why wouldn't you let a musician do music? I accept that argument. Uh, I have also made a hash mark on my blind joke count chalkboard of one. Ray Charles goes into Georgia on my mind, um, and it cuts over to Dan
1: Aykroyd's Jimmy Carter. Carter talks about his energy program, and it's failing because people don't understand how important the energy crisis is. He says he won't be able to balance the budget, and he's probably not going to get reelected in 1980. But a few years later, when someone else is president, they'll come up to Jimmy Carter and ask for help, and he'll say, honk off, bozos, you had your chance. We then go back to Ray Charles playing the bit out um, with a little bit more of Georgia on my mind. Watching this sketch from this side of history, I can only say that in many ways, it's probably the most prophetic sketch that appears in the early Saturday Night Live. I mean, this was not overly funny to me. I didn't laugh a lot, but I was sort of sitting there going, oh, yeah, that did happen oh yeah that did happen that happened too so uh, for that it got some points for me yeah definitely wasn't laughing out loud
2: at this one but uh, it did seem pretty on point and there there is something kind of amusing about uh, the, the salty Jimmy Carter just giving it to the American public because it's not really a, a look you see on, on presidents too often and and yeah the fact that they, they got so much of what was going to come right is uh, in hindsight quite entertaining
0: I thought this was severely mediocre. Dan does an okay, Carter. But, you know, you guys just literally fucking both said you didn't laugh. It's a comedy show. It's an established goddamn comedy show. Get it together. It's not some pinko commie rag. We now go
1: uh, back to Ray Charles, and he calls out Ella Fitzgerald, played by Garrett. This is a parody of the Is It Live or Is It Memorex ads that were playing at the time. And uh, Garrett does some scatting. And his high note breaks a wine glass. Garrett then replays it on a Memorex tape. The wine glass doesn't break, but Ray's glasses do. Um, I, I don't know how I got familiar with these ads years ago, because they didn't play during my lifetime, but I did see them over the years. So that helped when it went back and it showed Ray's glasses broken. I got a good laugh out of this, but it was a little long for just the one, uh, the one little joke thought Garrett was pretty funny though.
2: Yeah, I'm not really familiar with the the ad campaign myself, so this felt pretty clunky. You know, Garrett was was putting it on and and, and Ray was there for it, but yeah, I did I did fully have a, a really solid chuckle when, when I saw Ray's glasses, but outside of that, it seemed like a
0: long walk for a, a very little joke. You guys pretty much summed it all up. It was clunky. It was really poorly timed, wretchedly paced. Just for example, when Candace Bergen fucked up, Gilda Radner's recovery was—that's that was, some shit. That was genius. It's not right to blame Garrett. He's busy doing this fucking wretched drag. This is a horrible mess. One thing I wanted to mention at the top of the show too, Ray is
1: the only host who does this without the benefit of any prompting or like cue cards. In in and Stevie Wonder will host later down the line, but he had an earpiece in. So there is throughout the show some 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 flubbing, I think is purely related to to Ray not, not having his lines down, but compared to most other hosts, we see them reading off the cards. Ray doesn't have that luxury.
0: I mean, he can fucking read braille, memorize a fucking script, man. Yeah, but then, you know, most
1: don't. You know what I'm saying? Like, most don't memorize their script. They read off the cards.
0: Well, then maybe you don't have him host the show. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> maybe yeah. it's just not a good fit for a blind man who won't memorize his lines to host the show that's not a fucking crazy idea
2: i was gonna say maybe they could have snuck in some little braille cue cards and kept the the camera high so you wouldn't see his fingers on them i don't know but i think all in all he did pretty good given the situation but it's it's definitely a little bit noticeable timing wise this skit in particular but also the the tape recorder Seemed to be dicking around on Garrett, and, and that's like right away he couldn't
0: get that working on time. And it felt like that sent things spinning out a little bit. That's right. And I'm not saying it's on Ray Charles, but I mean, little what this little clunky production thing happened, and the timing was thrown right off because you can't recover fucking Ray Charles is going to be able to follow he's not going to take what are are you going to stick a line in there he has a script he had to memorize it he's not an actor maybe these people should host as I like to joke but it's you know what the proof the proof is in the pudding this is not fun to watch I just Uh, want to
2: know what I want to know what you mean by these people Matt oh
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's been been a recurring joke since (laughs) Julian Bond (laughs) were you with us for julian bond mark or was that someone else no
2: was that, was, that was that was chilly i i just okay. listened to the episodes so i had to give a little throwback
1: yeah because you uh you usually do the here's a non-actor
2: episode <laughs> yes yeah yeah I, i've gotten a lot of those over the years
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's by design. <laughs> we now go to the Duty Girls. It's Debbie Duty and Dottie Duty, the sister and wife of the late Howdy Duty, played by Gilda and Lorraine. They are two life-sized marionettes who live in Wayne Campbell's basement. It looks like Debbie is about to start dating again, but uh, she's sad because she's she doesn't think she's ready. Her, her date, Bill, comes in as Skip. Uh, the sketch ends with the camera pans up and we see three stagehands holding the cradles with the strings that control the marionettes. There was little bits of fun physical comedy here. Lorraine was doing this weird thing where she was kind of like walking on her heels. Um, And I did like the little reveal of the crew sort of pretending to be Marionette. Uh, puppeteers but uh, this was pretty bad I did not enjoy this at all and considering how much I liked the previous Debbie Duty, it was kind of a kind of a downer actually
2: I actually quite like this one to be honest I I found they really committed to the physical bit uh, but I'm a sucker for for some goofy comedy and you know for me it didn't overstay its welcome Uh, it was just about there and they cut it just at the right time but uh, I found it uh, pretty fun and pretty goofy the overacting Lorraine and Gilda, when it's just the two of them on stage always seem to have like great chemistry and they know exactly where each other's at And uh, I, I thought it was a, a fun quick little proper skit with some some technical physical aspects and the reveal at the end of the, the crew doing the Marionette was was fun.
0: So I guess some uh, kind of between you guys because uh, I, I mean I thought Lorraine was, amazing as her puppet character her physical comedy in this was top-notch easily stole the sketch for me uh, bill murray was an absolute waste of space. However, mm-hmm. I, I I didn't get the uh, the punch out of the the puppeteer reveal that you guys did, but I did really enjoy the zoom in on that man chomping a cigar. And I thought they were, really, you know, I, I I did keep laughing because I kept laughing when they kept asking what time it was. Such a that stupid joke, huh? Such a stupid joke, but I really liked it. Yeah, the this, this sketch gets thumbs up from me. I'm on board. And
1: uh, the, the aforementioned man with the cigar, it was a Chiron, zoomed in on him and said that he knew Duty personally, which is quite possible. Actually, that man had been in television for a number of years, I'd imagine, so he may have known the actual Howdy Duty. That actually popped in my head when the Chiron popped up. I was
2: like, I bet this is the first Chiron I've seen that's actually true. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah. Yeah.
0: There was that woman that gave good
2: applause. That was yes. Really Yeah, I remember that one, too, actually, yeah.
0: We now go to Tomorrow,
1: the Tomorrow Show. We have Dan back as Tom Snyder, and he talks about buying a street pretzel, and his stage manager is angry with him. I wrote here, after my note, I wrote, this is pretty much an actual episode of the Tom Snyder show at this point. The guest is Ray Charles, and uh, Snyder goes into his questions why singing instead of lawyering or being a watchmaker and then quite possibly the best line to date on saturday night live tom snyder turns to ray charles and says what the heck are the blues and who's who gets them snyder gives ray a hypothetical question about him being a black sharecropper who shoots his lover and her boyfriend and goes to prison and wonders if he would wind up getting the blues he then switches the conversation to being about groupies ray says he's sure that tom who is a famous man has some some groupies but tom says he has none tom then starts talking about the miracle worker he remembers the movie but he doesn't remember who the movie is about helen keller of course and uh, ray says he didn't see the movie uh, ray says his lack of sight has made his other senses much stronger and he mentions tom's aftershave that his tie is polyester and not silk that he probably still tucks his t-shirt into his underwear and his hair is about 12 different shades of color. I love this. I laughed through the whole thing. I thought uh, Tom Snyder was was bang on. This is closer to Tom Snyder than I ever remember Ackroyd being. And again, questions like, what the heck are the blues and who gets them? Just had me rolling in the, uh, on the on the couch. I was loving it.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm not super familiar with Tom Snyder, but uh, I have seen a couple of late-night segments, and and Dan totally nails the impersonation here. And it just seemed like they were having fun, the little back and forth, all the, the sort of offbeat, wacky questions that are, are seemingly in line with the proper Snyder impersonation. And Ray's just kind of deadpan, like, smiling through, giving him some real straight answers when he said I didn't see it. Super cheap blind joke, but I laughed. Uh, I, yeah, the,
0: that line, like you mentioned, Keith, great. Uh, I really enjoyed this whole thing. Never a bad time to, and you know what? It's been a bit. So let's rekindle the love for Tom Snyder. What a fantastic <laughs> show, Keith, he had in the 90s. Uh, yeah. The Late, Late Show with Tom Snyder. I was, I watched that almost every night. I was mystified. Uh, there was something so different. And he was just so strange, this strange old man. And that like the random chuckles from behind the camera, from the crew, uh, no studio audience and really zoomed in on his head. <laughs> <it was> just... <laughs> Matt, before you go on about your thoughts of the sketch, um,
1: the bit about the pretzel. And and the bit about like getting screwed out of good studio space and stuff it, does that not bring you back to true not Tom Snyder though like beyond it being funny
0: lines on a comedy? No no it's uh it's it's remarkable. It really is remarkable. It is magic in a bottle to recapture Tom Snyder like Dan Aykroyd could. I wonder if he could still do it. I'd love to see him do an old Tom Snyder. I'd maybe like if we give him vodka, is that what how it works? I don't know what's up with him now.
1: I think if we I think if we buy it from him, he might. Or find aliens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you find aliens, he'll do anything for you.
0: <laughs> Dan, I have an alien
1: come do tom snyder i'm still hoping season 50 they'll have him in the
0: host that would be wonderful uh they should do that for something special like that uh and you know what fuck them a little if they don't my only complaint with this sketch is i really think ray charles is bad at this he's bad at this it's because his timing is off and i find his his delivery is just kind of it's not it's not there this is not it's not a good fit for him and i don't think he's doing well
1: in my in my belief on this one you could have put a, a, a plant out there, like acroid was just so good in this one for me. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it carried it. We now have a chiron and this person actually likes anchovies. And I know people who actually like anchovies, so it's not that strange. I actually Aren't... like anchovies. Do you? Okay. I didn't yeah. know you were on Okay. Yeah. Me too. I like anchovies. Interesting. Okay. And... I, I don't. It's one of the few fish I don't like. Hmm. Our next sketch is, What Did I I Say? We start at a Memphis rehearsal hall in 1957. Garrett Morris enters wearing one of the greatest wigs and suits that have ever been displayed on (laughs) network television. And he plays a manager trying to convince Ray Charles to let a white pop group record a version of his song, what I Say? Uh, Ray will still record a version for the R&B stations, but this one will play on the more mainstream white stations, and Ray will get a whopping $400. The uh, other six SNL cast members come in as a stereotypical white bread singing group. The men are in sweaters that match the girls' dresses, and the girls are in uh, vests that match the guys' plaid pants. I say, complete with gaggy choreography, I think Dan and Jane in particular are extra hilarious in this one. Uh, Garrett as well uh, cracked me up the, uh, the whole way through. After this, Ray says he still likes his version best and he does the original version of what I say. There's a couple things. That's the second time this song appeared on Saturday Night Live. The first time was back in season one for the famous Beethoven sketch where Belushi may have actually done Coke live on the air. But what really I laughed through this whole thing, Loved the version of a love the shitty white version of a good black song, but really put it over the top for me with a knowing smiles and laughs coming from the band in the back. Um, behind ray you could see them like looking at this as if it was like yep this is how it was done um but i uh, i really enjoyed this i i liked the message as well as everything else but uh, uh yeah this got good marks for me as well
2: yeah i uh, i really enjoyed this too the the cast members coming in and just so overselling the the preppy goofy over the top stiff uh oh, it was just perfect like that Jane Jane really stole the show for me the like the, the high pitched voice and the bouncing when she talked and yeah the band in the back was just having a blast with it and and yeah Garrett was so well done up and just like leaning into everything. Felt like everybody was on
0: point with this one. Um and yeah, I, I had a really good time with it. I thought it was too long. It's really long. And I hate that there's so much music. The song wasn't funny. I mean Jane's funny. Uh but the performances are funny and there's a good energy, but nobody's writing jokes. It's not funny. It doesn't make me laugh. Because these you know, when the cast just is out there bouncing around and smiling, like this just doesn't work for me.
2: I need more. I, I did find it a little curious that they decided to do a whole version of like the, the preppy white kids song and then go into the full Ray version like maybe if, if they had interspersed it somehow to make the the contrast more noticeable, or I guess they're expecting everyone to know the song going into it. But like if Ray did his version first and then they did their sad little version afterwards, but then had to get out of the skit. So it makes more sense to have Ray play out. But yeah, the, the, doing the whole song, I, I can see how that wouldn't quite do it for you, Matt. But at the same time... Yes. Just the, the look on their faces was what was telling it for me. And I know the song quite well, too. So, like, just seeing how they sucked all the soul out of it and made it this bubbly, goofy, doofusy thing. I don't know.
1: It, it did work for me, but I can totally see where you're coming from on on doing the whole thing and, and dragging it out of it. I honestly think they did the whole thing because they were just having so much fun with it. And uh, it was it was a tad long, but uh, I, I, I did enjoy it. Weekend update. Don Pardo announces weekend update with Chevy Chase. Uh, Dan and jane are shocked i actually that just slipped through me uh, slipped past me without any issue and then i went oh yeah uh, but he apologized it's an old script a few quick psych gags and such uh jimmy carter uh, his mother thinks he's growing in the job and there's a picture of lillian carter where her hand is awfully close to the presidential unit oj simpson had undergone sexual reassignment surgery Toddlers clash with the National Guard at a uh, the site where there was uh, a seven toddlers had been unjustly spanked. There's a bit about rabies where Jane talks about the symptoms as Dan begins to foam at the mouth. Bill Murray reviews Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, Time had printed a review apparently that spoiled the movie, and Bill isn't going to see it now. And Bill basically goes and spoils the movie again for anyone that missed the Time review. It's weird, in a way, Bill Murray talking about Richard Dreyfuss uh, as there's going to be, you know, the, those two will eventually have a history together. Burt Reynolds ripped the leg off a dog. I don't remember the context. And then the dancing end taps in. The, the bulletin says that, uh, to hell with the bulletin, will you dance with me? And they end the segment with Jane and Dan dancing with the dancing end to complete silence from the audience. This was another... Very weak weekend update and this time around it seemed to be less about Dan being awkward, um, although there was some of that and more about just the the jokes not being there. This is not a good weekend update at all.
2: Nope, it was not <laughs> um, uh, a half step up from the last one I saw, but when you're starting six feet into the bottom of the basement, that's not a there's lots of room for moving up and they didn't move up that much. Uh, the only two things I actually laughed at were the the two sight gags. The one about Jimmy Carter's mom because I didn't get what they were going for right away, and then just before they cut away, I saw her hand, and so it sort of snuck up on me after the fact. And the Burt Reynolds with the dog picture because the, the the timing of that picture it looks like he's like just trying to shake the paw, but there's something about the angle where it looks like he is about to rip that dog's leg off. But outside of that, yeah, clunky timing. The new format is just not good they're stepping on each other the whole dancing end part at the end like you could see Dan awkwardly trying to steer the person who clearly can't see in the end costume to the front so they could all dance together and it just wasn't happening and Jane's clumsily trying to hold it together while trying to shoo them over and it was it was bad this they I don't know how it's gotten this bad cuz it was good at some point right like I remember this being good. How is it so bad now? Yeah, it, was it was great good.
0: in season two. It was great. Jane Jane Curtin was uh, killed it. Chevy had his moments, but uh, Jane mm-hmm. Curtin really slammed it in season two. She slam dunked it, and they messed with success. And for whatever reason, they wanted to fuck around with it and st- stick other shit in it and get more people in it. And now it's all of a sudden it doesn't work what a fucking surprise Jane still does her best but she doesn't it's like a different character she's playing a weirdly different character it's a little a little more serious and not as uh, you know I'm at the edge of my rope Mm. newswoman she was on season two so she, she's definitely playing a slightly different character i don't like dan uh, in this at all it's he's he doesn't seem to like it either but i know i don't like it either but the, the big talking point for me in this is the bill murray piece they keep yeah. trying and it continues to fail. But I do want to really say Bill is like I can tell he's doing his best and I I really think it has potential. This character could be so much better than it is and I don't like to woulda shoulda coulda the show ever as is our mantra. But I really wish there was better jokes for this character because I weirdly like the character but there's nothing there. Yeah. Is it the character or the catchphrases you
1: like because I'm I'm not fond of much of it but I do have the Get out of here you knuckleheads and all that. That sticks with me.
0: It sticks with me. And I like the yeah. character and I like the the concept but there's nobody's writing jokes for it. He's it's like he's hopping
2: from catchphrase to catchphrase and everything in between is just rambling. And, and all he has is to get out of here, you knuckleheads. And, and yeah, like you guys were saying, that does stick with you. There's there's something there, but there's absolutely nothing in between. You can't make a Caesar salad with just croutons. It's, it's a shame because it feels like there should be something
0: there. He, he said, by the way, he scoffed at paying four bucks to see a film, and it broke my heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ray Charles now does a, a medley of
1: some of his old songs with some of his old bandmates. They're together and they do a quick med. Well, not a quick medley. They do a rather elongated mel, medley, which includes uh, Ray Charles doing a saxophone
0: solo at one point. Uh, this is great music done greatly. It's not. It's not fun for me. It's not fun to watch. I don't like the songs. So. This is all I'm getting this episode. It's been a pretty, pretty rough episode for me, indeed. And I I didn't enjoy this. I sat through it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. When it became obvious, this was going to be like um, a medley and it switched into the second song i was enthused i was really enjoying it this is my kind of music uh but immediately as soon as it switched that second song i was like oh matt is hating everything about this right now i felt bad for you for a minute because i knew there was going to be more songs crammed in and based on the runtime of the show there's going to be more full-on performances later too but here we are going to get like four songs jammed into one spot in a row and for the type of show it is and if you're shooting for a broad appeal, I can see this being uh being too long and and maybe being a strange call. Uh, when they went through and he gave all of the introductions to, or when when the the all the uh band members got a chance to do a little thing, that was really good. And uh, yeah, seeing Ray play the sax, I've never seen that
1: before, so that was kind of like a fun little like, oh, look at him go, sweet. We now go to Franklin Ajayi. He's a stand-up comedian. Um. Do you remember this guy, Mark? Uh, he looked familiar. Samuel but... Fields from Deadwood.
0: Oh,
2: the general! Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yes, I I knew he seemed really familiar somehow, but that that didn't click. He was so young. Ah,
1: uh, cool. Yep. Yeah. It, it. I didn't. I didn't recognize him, to be perfectly honest. Like when I looked him up, I was like, oh, of course, because he looked familiar, but I didn't nail. But anyway, all was good to see a Deadwooder around somewhere. He did some fun stand-up about Star Trek. Uh, a lot of it, it wasn't super funny. It didn't go over well. I don't know what the popularity level of Star Trek was at this point, other than the reruns had done so well that this was what, the brief period of time where it looked like there was going to be a new series, and he mentions that. This probably would have worked better elsewhere. What I've read about uh, his material is he's good in long form.
2: Yeah, I'm not really a big fan star trek aficionado Uh, i'm familiar with it like i know all the characters and stuff but his presence i like but the material was fine there's there's a couple of all right jokes in there but he seemed like he wasn't super into it like even at the very end when he's like all right are we done now and then he just like clumsily puts the microphone down and starts walking off the stage towards the camera i don't know this this did not work for me Uh, i wasn't a big fan and i actually it was funny too Because earlier I was thinking, geez, maybe they should put on a stand-up comedian instead of a musician tonight. Because we don't see a whole lot of stand-up outside of the monologues on SNL, uh, from my experience anyway. So I was kind of pumped to get some stand-up, but then he just kind of felt one note. And if you aren't a Star Trek fan, that
0: note ain't hitting. So to that point, like this whole episode is like, if you're not a Ray Charles fan, go fuck yourself. You guys can't give me five minutes of Star Trek jokes? Dudes. I love Star Trek. This was good Star Trek material and it landed with me. I'm sitting through a Ray Charles concert. So I get my Trekkie jokes and I loved it and I appreciated the comedy break from tonight's musical performance.
2: Oh I'm glad you you got this little break, buddy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's that's awesome. Thanks, Thanks, Mark.
2: Yeah, because I I get Ray Charles not being for everybody, and and this totally wasn't for me. It's good to hear
1: someone enjoyed it, especially someone who wasn't enjoying much else. We now go to the Evelyn Woodski Slow Reading Course. And this is the second reading course offered by the Evelyn Woodski School. It's teaching people who have learned how to speed read, how to slow down so they can actually appreciate and understand what they're reading. And we get some testimonials from Garrett, Jane, and Bill. And then we see Ray Charles doing Braille, and he said when he used to read, he used to get blisters on his fingers. Um, this was far better than the other Evelyn Woods ski course sketch, but it uh, wasn't that great. And Maybe a quick little chuckle.
2: Yeah, the only thing I laughed at was the uh, the getting blisters line from Ray from doing the, the Braille. It almost weirdly felt like it was either too or not long enough. Like a, a joke like this where you're, they are dragging things out and making people feel uncomfortable the other need to cut it in half and just make it be the one quick joke or draw it out even longer and and you got to push people to the point of being uncomfortable with it so that it becomes funny in 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 that way but i found like this just that the pacing was weird and and there wasn't there's either too much or not enough time sat on it. Like, they didn't hit the joke right.
0: So, ah, this is a pass for me. Will they make it? Will the show make 100% of Ray Charles' sketches? Blind jokes. As of right now, we are tracking yes. The Tomorrow Show had one? Yes. Didn't it?
1: I don't think.
2: Yeah, yeah. that totally had one. When we asked if he saw the mover, the, the Helen Keller movie, he was like, nah, I didn't see it. Just as a quick, like, cheeky one, one-liner. Oh, so, really?
1: yeah, I. I I didn't even think of that as a blind joke. But anyway, yes, totally everywhere. We now go to the ultimate blind joke, I suppose. It's called Blackout, and it starts with Ray Charles talking about Con Edison. He's in a hotel room, um, and uh, room service calls. Charles opens the door, not remembering that he ordered room service. Garrett and Dan come in as armed robbers. Garrett recognizes Charles. Dan does not. There's a blackout mid-sketch, and in the dark, Charles is able to tie up Garrett and kill Dan. Room service calls. Charles orders his food and asks for the police. I knew where this was going as soon as he was talking about Con Ed. I thought Garrett was pretty funny. I thought Dan was okay. Charles was obviously awkward. All things considered, this wasn't too, too bad, except for the blackout took way, way too long. I I know that there's shortcuts to do that quicker. And uh, when they come back, Garrett was awkward tied up could have been done a lot snappier the blackout
2: definitely was way too long outside of that the the overall setup and, and landing of the skit pretty good it wasn't bad and you know the idea of, of Ray Charles who's not just blind but you know he's not the quickest or youngest fellow in the world suddenly turning into a ninja and taking these two guys down yeah, yeah. there's, there's some comedy in that like I kind of tried to mentally picture him flipping over the couch and you know stabbing Dan or whatever it was all right, but the, yeah, the blackout really clunky. Like
0: the execution wasn't great on this one, but it was alright. Almost like he shouldn't host the show because the production is awful, the timing is awful, there are no jokes, and all they got are fucking blind jokes. No, this this is bad. It continues to be bad for me. We now have a promo and it's uh, Buck
1: Henry. Always nice to see Buck. He comes out, and he'll be hosting next week with musical guest Leon Redbone. I mean, how did they know I was coming? Um, Fuck yeah. (laughs) I know, eh? Um, and next week, that we'll feature the five finalists for the Anyone Can Host contest.
0: I was sold. I, I just, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> me too. It was the, the fucking highlight of the show for me, man. Uh, yeah, I love seeing Buck Henry. He's one of my favorite hosts. Leon Redbone's cool. And I'm excited to see these uh, finalists. The, I, I'm sold on next week's show. I'm excited. Yeah
2: yeah i popped like a 10 year old mark when i saw buck henry come out i was pumped to see him and then he announces next week it's it's leon redbone and all these like goofy hosts coming in from from out of nowhere that sounds like a solid episode and uh whoever whoever gets to be the third chair next week uh i'm i'm a
1: little jealous We now go to Ray Charles again, um, and he's singing this time, Oh, What a Beautiful Morning. Now as a student of, uh, a one-time student of musical theater, I have heard a billion versions of this because it's from fucking Oklahoma. This is the first one I liked. It's really jazzed up, a great version of what's usually like a, a tune with the musicality of Happy Birthday to You. So guilty pleasure for me seeing a shit song done well. No surprises here. If you like Grey
2: Charles, you're going to really like this. And I do, so I did. Um, Really jazzed up. And like you said, uh, a song that usually falls real flat. Almost like he's pulling a reverse on, on what the... The cast as the white bread poppy group did to his song earlier he's taking yep. this super boring soulless you know musical white person song and and flipping around his head and giving it all this life and 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 jump and pop and yeah i thought it was a good time
0: uh, i'm done i'm tapped on the concert play me out play me okay. out.
1: He's already dead. Next up is a quick, not a quick segment, it's it's a segment where they're standing around, the, uh, the whole cast is standing around the piano singing I Can't Stop Loving You, and Belushi does his Ray Charles impression with Ray Charles there. I always thought Belushi had a really good Ray Charles impression until I actually saw him so close to actually seeing the real Ray Charles. Anyway, song ends. Mr. Mike comes in and says he has a surprise for Ray. He's arranged for a painting to be donated to the Lighthouse for the Blind. He reveals it to the audience, Mr. Mike does, and he says it's a Monet painting called The Old Windmill. But the painting is really three, uh, a bunch of big letters saying, please don't tell him. Ray says he's very happy to receive such an award. Um, and he, Charles, thanks everyone who made the week so much fun. Mr. Mike leaves, and Ray says after, at the after party, he's got about 12 of the biggest black dudes uh, my, Mr. Mike will have ever seen who are going to break every bone in Mr. Mike's body. I, I enjoyed this. Mr. Mike is a, is fun. I, I think this, un, unlike the uh, discrimination sketch we talked about uh, a little while back, this is how these jokes are supposed to end. Um, Yes, it's another blind joke, uh, but it's extra sinister with Mr. Mike. So, uh yeah, I enjoyed this. There was a sort of childlike innocence to the cast, just kind of hanging out, out of character. Yeah, they were just kind of goofing around in some ways. But uh, there was something about this I liked.
2: This started with such a nice energy, like the cast hanging around the piano with Ray. They were all just beaming. And, like, I feel like Belushi's... Uh, impersonation was a little flatter than I think I've seen him do otherwise because he seemed genuinely like nervous or intimidated they seemed like you know they're all rising big stars but they're standing in front of a living legend and you could see how like just in awe of him they were and, and how pumped they were to be there with him and and that energy was so good to kick things off and then I really think this is the first time Mr. Mike's I've seen his face on the stage and I didn't find it that funny. He was yeah. going through the whole explanation and maybe just a little burnt out on the blind jokes at this point but when he was talking the Monet up so much it was just kind of a little flat for me and, and usually I find him hilarious like all of the dark weird things that I've seen seen him do really good but this kind of fell a little flat although when he walked off stage and ray did mention you know his plans for the after party it did totally feel like the a bit of a redemption arc from that discrimination skit we did where where the good guy won the same thing kind of happening on a different scale but the good guy won yeah. and so like it ended okay but the whole middle part with the don't tell him painting i didn't care for that bit
0: i always like to see mr mike uh, so that was a nice little treat but again Uh, I feel this episode is really void of jokes. There were certainly not a really good one here, and they made it. Everything Ray Charles was in had blind jokes.
1: We now go to the good nights with only a minute left. Ray thanks everyone, says he had a great time. Totally believe that. He seemed to really enjoy it. The cast and the crew are around the piano. Ray plays everyone out, and for the first time in a while, Dan Aykroyd doesn't run away really quickly. So let's uh, do our ratings tonight. Uh, so tonight we'll do rating the host and music together. Um, Ray Charles is a musician. Um, very entertaining one. Uh, and and quite a storyteller at times, but but not really a traditional comic performer. As w- well, I mean, he was a sightless man in a very non-accommodating 1970s studio on a show where, you know, it, it's very much about quick changes and, and people are... Tell stories about running off stage at at top speed to try to uh, to try to change in in time. So my initial worry about this show was was that it was going to be Ray at the piano the whole time for a couple of musical bits and then he'd be throwing to the cast for just some funny stuff. I was actually pleasantly surprised with how much Ray was in on different sketches. So as a host, he was he was he was fine considering what the uh, responsibilities of the host are. I thought he did okay. I usually like to see non-actors stray from their norm and do something way out there. Uh, I didn't get that, but unlike the Ralph Nader's, the Hugh Hefner's, the Ron Nessens, I I don't know, I just I found Ray Charles as a person charming enough that it uh, that it didn't bother me, that he didn't go too far. Um, as a musical guest, however, he was excellent. I thought he was far above average. There was far too much music. I mean, objectively, there was far, far too much music in this episode. However, I'm a Ray Charles fan, and the show was written around him, and written around his music, and, and it really worked.
2: Yeah, musically speaking, I mean, for me, it doesn't get much better than this, right? He's mm-hmm. just... Bring so much life and energy and soul and fantastic but there was definitely too much of it for the format of the show for the casual viewer for the not pretty charles fans out there this would have not been a good time but i uh i was i was here for it if they took one one song out i probably would have been okay with that too and as a host like like you touched on keith he did a lot more than i was expecting him to he was in quite a few skits he was he was bopping from set to set he had a couple of quick turnarounds and you know that must have been real tricky to pull off he did a really good job but was it maybe the best choice for the show i don't know that's tough i
0: mean of course i don't think so i thought he was a miserable host the timing was off he wasn't funny the the production was just a mess and it was just Full of music. So if you don't like Ray Charles, this episode is just not for you. And I don't like Ray Charles. It's just not my kind of music. Uh, it's, it's you know, I, I don't like the Blues Brothers either. I got that to deal with later. I think about that. <laughs> what was the worst sketch of the night, fellers? That Con Ed sketch with the robbers and Ray Charles. It's fucking stupid.
2: I'll probably say the, um, the Woodski Slow reading one. It was just, I don't know. It it seemed like there was an idea there, and the execution was just bungled, and and the joke itself was draggy. So they either had to overcommit to like drag it even further to make it punch it through to get funny, and they just didn't. So like it it just. Like, the slowness, it, it sucked some life out of me. That was my least favorite.
1: Funny how things work out. I mean, Matt and I were, were polar opposites all night. And, yet at the end of the day, we can both agree that the uh, Con Ed sketch was probably the worst sketch of the night.
0: And if, Maybe it was the timing, too. Maybe in a different timing, I agree with Mark if the sketches are rearranged on the show. But whatever. We rate what they give us. So what was your best for the night, guys? Debbie w- Duty. <laughs> I like Debbie No, I'm not fucking kidding. I thought it was funny. You know, I thought again, Bill Murray was a waste of space, but Lorraine really made me laugh. And I really, the only time I sincerely just lost myself and laughed this episode was when they kept asking, like, "What time is it?" (laughs) I love that.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm with you, Matt. Like, I'm sure this is a shocker for Keith, but it was the best, like, just sketch. There was hardly any all night, and most of them, you know, didn't – they felt more trying to be topical or trying to be whatever. This just felt like a a pure – sketch with a with a fun physical premise and they leaned into it they sold it bill murray was was flat at the end and he was like his movements weren't good but it didn't matter because gilda and lorraine just crushed it so
1: hard that was this was the most fun i had all night for me it was the tomorrow show i uh, that should come as no surprise i just adored that segment i thought it was both hilarious and the closest to an actual Tom Snyder episode they've gotten. Yes. Really enjoyed it.
2: Star of the night, fellas. Well, out of the cast, um, no one really did a whole lot. Uh, (laughs) I mean, Dan's the only one that comes to mind with his Tom Snyder um, you know his his presidential bit at the start wasn't great, but he he did it. His Snyder was great. His goofiness and over the topness in the um the the white bread pop cover skit was good. I'm having a hard time like Lorraine and Gilda killed the 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 Debbie duty skit, but uh, they did they weren't really in a lot else that's popping into mind. So I think I have to
0: default give it to Dan just for putting in the most work as a cast member. Agreed, Dan by default worked his ass off the whole episode. It was really just the only one around. It almost could have been Garrett, but he couldn't pull it off. It was definitely Dan. The workhorse.
1: And uh, I, I humbly disagree. I gave it to Garrett. Um, He was given a lot tonight, and uh, some of the sketches were shaky, but he was all in for everything, Um, and I thought he did quite well. He
2: definitely killed the, the what I say bit, for sure. I'll for that, that suit
1: alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: No, he nailed that. I, I just didn't see enough of him outside of it, the yellow bit was all right. The, the robber thing, he had a couple lines, not to say your, your picks wrong or anything, but yeah, if there was anyone else to pick, but uh, outside of Dan, it would be Garrett. And, you know, Dan shit the bed and weekend update. So you could hold <laughs> some
1: marks against him for that. This season, I'm noticing that I kind of am like, He's got to step up a Weekend Update if he wants my my votes. Forty five years later, I think
2: him and the rest of us would be happier if he just stepped off of Weekend Update. But
1: yeah. yeah. So overall, fellas, uh, this was a very good episode. It had me laughing a lot, um, and I truly enjoy Ray Charles's music, as I've said a thousand times. Was this a standard SNL? No, it was not. It was close enough to feel right. It catered to the musical star probably more than any episode since that Paul Simon episode. Also with Ray Charles, and it was similar to last week's Grodin episode. There was a bit of what the hell is going to happen here. And uh, that's a feeling I really like watching... These shows, I don't like it to look too polished and too re- over rehearsed. So I do like some of the clunk, uh, not in the writing, but in the uh, overall feel of the show. I really enjoyed this one. Uh, not enough to put it in the tippy top, but I gave it a seven out of 10.
2: Yeah. Uh, you stole some words right out of my mouth. Uh, the, the, the live nature feels a little more exciting when things are always a little like, what is going to go on here? Are they going to get this blind guy two stages over in time for this next sketch? But yeah, when the, the writing's clunky, I got uh, no patience. For that Cause that's the only thing they really have time for going into the live show. But mm-hmm. the music was just phenomenal. Uh, I like, I love Ray Charles. Uh, I I thought he was entertaining. I thought there were some really good skits too. So yeah, I, I, there was definitely some some jank. There were some things that that didn't quite work. But overall, I'm I'm with you with a seven.
0: I mean, if you don't like Ray Charles, you don't like this episode. And I don't like Ray Charles, mm-hmm. so I don't like this episode. I liked the Star Trek guy, and there was like two funny sketches for me and a lot of missed opportunity the writing was lazy there were blind jokes everywhere ray charles is bad host for me and i don't like the music so i mean what do i got to work with the the the, the star trek stand up act which i liked because i like star trek a lot but it wasn't awesome and uh, tom Snyder, which dan Aykroyd just carried on his back and ray charles was bad in it and the puppets not really a lot to work with for me it's a four out of ten for me that's higher than i expected matt
2: same i was actually expecting you to say you liked three things you're giving it a three
1: <laughs> <laughs> no i'm looking at some of matt's threes from this season uh well one of his he only gave one three so far and it's not that bad but with my seven matt's uh four and mark seven we average out at a six the Internet Movie Database uh, gave this one a 7.7. This episode, uh, based on the IMDb, finishes third of the year and 105 to date, which, um, you know, that's closer in line to where I'm at than... Uh, actually, it's it's also <laughs> exactly where in line where, where, where Matt's at, too. This season, other than last week, has not really wowed us yet.
0: Better start bringing
1: it, then. Yeah, yeah, or just have more Charles Grodin coming out. It, it definitely feels like they're... They're almost trying too hard to to mix it up. I don't know. Either one one or two opposite things at play here. They're either trying too hard or they're like, let's coast.
2: Yeah, like they're they're phoning it in and going way too wacky at the same time.
1: But you know who's not trying too hard and who's not, not just phoning it in? Who? You, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us this week. <laughs> uh-huh. Thank you. Always a pleasure. This was enjoyable. It did some. It did somehow feel like a two-on-one tonight. Um, but blame Ray Charles's soulful music, I guess.
2: I'll blame the bookers of the show
1: for yeah. doing this to poor Matt. Unkind. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, Matt. It's a holy grail of sorts. I don't. I have not watched the episode yet. I mean, other than maybe 20 years ago. I am eager to see how this one goes. Adrian, of course will be joining us for the musical guest Leon Redbone and the host with the most, Buck Henry.
0: Great. Matt
1: and I will be back in about a week. But until then, two of us will be enjoying some nice R&B blues from a forgotten time. And one of us will be just trying to forget the time here in Hill.